Do you want high quality wines without the high price tag? The wine concierge guarantees satisfaction with every sip. Hold on, it is better. They feature women and minority winemakers and brands. Wines made by people who look like you and me. It's an online wine store. Shop 24-7 from your home or office. They even ship to most states. Check out www.thewineconcierge.co for yourself. Use code SWIRL for your special discount and free shipping at www.thewineconcierge.co. Welcome back to the Swirl Suite, everybody. So this is episode two of our Washington Wine Series featuring grower Dick Boucher of Boucher Vineyards and Mary Womack of Damsel Winery. We hope you are enjoying the series so far. Please let us know your thoughts. Feel free to send us an email at swirlsweet at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, tweet us, Instagram us, send us a DM. We love to hear your thoughts. Cheers and enjoy. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. We have Leslie and Tanisha with us. Hey, girls, how are you? Hey, good. good. We're good. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not speaking for Leslie. I'm good. <laughs> I hope Leslie's good. <laughs> I'm home all week today. Um, the thermostat at my job is at 54 degrees. So we are at home and everybody's going to chill until the holiday is over. Then we'll be back. Because 54 is a chilly day. Uh, that's cold. No doubt it's cold. Yeah, 54 yeah. is not nice outside. Let no, alone no. inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, well, Sarita, I'm... I can bring my wines over there um, and then store them there instead of... You absolutely <laughs> could. You absolutely could, yeah. But I'm drinking a warm and fuzzy, beautiful Cap Franc um, made by our guest today from Washington State, so hello, Mary and Dick. How are you today? Great. Hi, Sarita. How are you? Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Welcome you both to the Swirl Suite. Um, if we could start out with some introductions. Um, Dick, let's start with you. Okay, Dick Boucher. I'm um, a grape grower from Washington State. I live in Grandview, which is in the middle of the Yakima Valley, which is... Um, southern part southeastern part of washington state and um and i've been here for gosh 45 years um but i grew up on on the west near seattle so i i miss green trees and uh water because i live in a relatively desert area um and it's very dry uh and warm but right now it's very cold. It's a high of 30 today, and I think it was a low of 25. So we're into our nice dormant season. And yet we're out doing a lot of work right now too. So we're, we're acclimated. 54, wherever you're at, that sounded nice and balmy. Mary, uh, yeah, please introduce yourself. Uh, so my name is Mary Womack. I am the owner and winemaker at Damsel Cellars. Um, I actually established Damsel in 2012. So this uh, harvest that we just completed was my 10th vintage, um, which is pretty exciting. So kind of big landmark, still very young in the business, obviously from a historical standpoint, but really excited to get 10 years uh, under my belt. And I started working here in Woodenville, Washington, which is about um, 30 minutes kind of northeast of Seattle. And our closest vineyard that we work with is about two and a half hours away over the Cascade Mountains. Um, So we actually have a bit of a disconnect between where we're making the wine and where our vineyards are. Um, However, um, here in Woodenville, we have a really great community of people that have really helped me grow um, and grow my business. And um, we're kind of going on, yeah, going on into our, you know, 12th, 10th bottling, 10th bottling, crazy crazy to think about so before we get into you guys's partnership um dick you were going to be a banker uh <laughs> tell us the story of how you made that pivot to wine oh gosh um i think i was going to be a banker because i grew up in a farming community we lived in a small farm and i worked in um 
is in the Puyallup Valley, blackberries, strawberries, blueberry, marionberries, bulbs, uh, rhubarb, and I really didn't want to farm or be around it. <laughs> and when I went to college, I studied business and I was uh, going to intern at a, at a bank because that's what my degree was in finance. And uh, at that very time, um, I had uncles and cousins that lived in the Yakima Valley and my dad always wanted to live in the Yakima Valley, but our family was entrenched where we were at. We have a large family. I was the oldest son and he found an apple orchard for sale. And he asked me, would I go run it for one year? And um, I said, sure. Well, five years later, I was still there. Uh, then my dad moved over and I'm still here. And I haven't, I've been here ever since. Uh, that was in 1975. But right at, when I moved over here, um, I met a young lady and um, I became very good friends with her dad. And uh, especially after I married her, but he was a wine person. And I would travel with him to uh, California, Napa, Sonoma, Russian River, Mendocino, all over. And um, the wine that I remember really convinced me that um, the first wines, uh, there's been many others since that uh, I wanted to be serious about wine was a, a pretty well-known winery that I, I had that my father-in-law would go to. It was Maya Kamas and it was a 75 cab. But at the same year, and I, I never thought we could grow grapes like, or make wine like that in Washington State at the time, um, until I had a 1975 St. Michelle Cab, which, which if you kind of read about that wine, it was sort of, a, it was one of the first sort of recognized serious cabs that came out of Washington State. And I remember buying a case of it, um, which was a big deal for me because I didn't have much money at that time. So it was a splurge and my wife got mad at me, uh, but she wasn't my wife then, but she still got mad at me. <laughs> um, but those wines sort of transformed me uh, as far as appreciating wine and something to strive for. And from then on, I was on this path of figuring out how to get into the wine grape business and how to learn about wines. And I, I'm still on that path. So Richard, um, you became friends with the father first to get close to the daughter and the wines, or you? Well, it's funny. Um, <laughs> they were mutual, mutual respect and appreciation. Uh, <laughs> I think I like I love my wife more, but I don't know. <laughs> don't get personal here now. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's, another, that's for another um, podcast. I apologize. You know, it's. <laughs> And ironically, my wife doesn't drink. Wow. Uh, well, she sips and smells. She, I think she, she has a better uh, nose than me and, and taste. Like when I when I really want to dissect a wine, she'll take a sip out of it. And um, and she's very good on the aromatics. So she, she tolerates me on this subject. But we're both in it together. All the, she was the teacher for... 27 years and then she um now she farms with me we're going for another 27 years to that but we'll I see. love it <laughs> I love that so Mary um, your your path to wine wasn't exactly direct but I understand I understand the turn that it took but um tell us about your 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 plan with a degree in landscaping and horticulture and how you ended up in wine um it, it was kind of, again, a very, a very circuitous route. And the landscaping and design came about um, because I was actually waiting to get into graduate school uh, for psychology. And I was working in restaurants in and around Seattle. And um, that's sort of where the whole love of wine and food and pairing got started was working in restaurants. Um, but I went back to school almost to just kind of stay out of trouble while waiting to get into grad school. I'm, I'm a very curious person by nature and I really love to learn new things. So I, I loved gardening. I love the idea of plants and growing things and just being connected with the earth. And that was always just very relaxing to me. So I went 
with the idea that, you know, I'm going to learn more about these plants. I'm going to learn more about design elements, um, two things that I really, I really love and still love. And when I got out of, of that program, I did start my own landscape design company and partnered with another friend of mine who would do the installation. So I was very involved in the design aspect, the plantings, choosing the right plants for the right place. Um, but I had no idea that all of that information with soil and plant anatomy um, and plant structures was going to come in handy for this wine adventure on down the road. So it it worked out. And you went from a volunteer at a winery to assistant winemaker. How did that happen? How long? Like, what was the time in between those two? It it was very quick, actually. Um, I um, I had some free time and based on this passion I developed, you know, in, in restaurants and, and food and wine pairings, I came out to Woodenville and started volunteering in a tasting room that was just starting up. Um, uh, they're called Obelesco. And they had one wine at the time. They have a much larger portfolio now, very big footprint in Washington, very well known. But at the time they had one Cabernet. And from that point, volunteering in this tasting room, I was immediately sort of welcomed into this lovely community out here. And everyone out here is a connector. And if you express interest or a passion in something, they will put you with the right people. And so when harvest came around that year, I was like, oh, I, I really need to learn more about wine. I need to learn more about what's going on. And I was introduced to um, the staff at Bear Winery. And I ended up just showing up and volunteering during harvest with them. Um, and based on, on what I was seeing there, you know, the active fermentations, all the equipment, the grapes coming in, um, rehydrating yeast, all the fun little things that you do, um, I kind of freaked out and decided I needed a winery. <laughs> and I had no, no idea how to go about it. I was just so thrilled with the prospect of being involved in it that I, I kind of just jumped right in and started asking more questions. And sure enough, uh, Darby English at Darby Winery was looking for someone to manage his tasting rooms. Um, and with restaurant experience and things like that, that seemed like a very easy fit. And I needed somebody to teach me how to make wine because I had no idea really what I was doing at that point. And it worked into actually more of an apprenticeship where I, I took charge of, of sort of the tasting room management and kind of the marketing side. And then I was also able to become like kind of his right hand and earn the assistant winemaker title really more by default the first couple of years because I was the only one helping him. So <laughs> it worked out that as I was learning how to make wine over the, the four years that I worked there, um, he was also kind enough to let me start making the damsel wine kind of off in the corner, like a little experimental project. So um, that was that was really how the whole whole thing sort of launched. I mean, I've, I've had to bootstrap it. I wasn't really born into it. My family wasn't really into wine. We don't have family vineyards. So it was really just the luck and kind of persistence of making those connections um, through the, the community out here. Mary, I have a question for you. When you started your project, what made you decide which grapes you wanted to use, what blend you wanted to do as far as your wine? I think a lot of it had to do with just what, what I was drinking and what I was most impressed by that I thought I, I could actually execute well um, and really um, you know, kind of find a, a good way to do a wine that was gonna be solid, that was not too difficult and that we could actually get really high quality fruit here that we do really well in Washington. So I started with Cabernet and with Syrah. Um, and I have an affinity for Syrah. It's my, my favorite varietal to work with. And luckily when I was working at Darby, you know, he's bringing in probably 12 ish, 15 different varietals for maybe six or eight different vineyards around the state. So I was exposed to actually a lot of different ideas and vineyards and growing styles and different um, varietals to pick from. And, you know, in Washington, some are just a easier to get a hold of and b easier to execute, especially when you're you're just starting. So I thought those were going to be the things that I could start with that were going to be the good quality and something that I could execute well. So on the same line of, of Tanisha's um, question, 
Mm-hmm. I'm sipping the 100% Cabernet Franc. Yes. And I must, in full transparency, say that I'm not a Cab Franc mm-hmm. lover because of how <gasps> sometimes... <What? laughs> there you go, Tanisha. Um, sometimes it just can't finesse it like this. This is beautiful. Thank you. I am just blown away. I opened it last night so I could behave myself to my swirl sweet cohorts. Even though you I still did, like, but okay. Yes, I, I am. You know I am behaving because I tasted it and I said, I had to look back at the bottle. Um, can you talk about um, this particular, am I jumping ahead, Sarita? I'm sorry. Okay. Can you talk about um, this cop? Cobb Franc and how you finesse the pyrazines out. I mean, it's not green. It's This is just beautiful. Well, um, one, I think, you know, as a follow-up, I can tell you what I do with it. And then I think, you know, we should throw it over to Dick and find out his farming okay. techniques for the, uh, okay. the Cab Franc. Um, my thought was after tasting Cabernet Franc, it was always such a great food pairing wine. And I think coming into the new world winemaking, Everybody got so carried away with Cabernet and so in love with Cabernet that Cabernet Franc, I feel like, fell by the wayside and and became like the secondary sort of blending mm-hmm. grape. But mm-hmm. it, it's always historically been such a beautiful food wine, medium bodied, bright red fruit notes. And then from Boucher Vineyard, what I found working with this um, 2014 was the first vintage that I did the 100% Cab Franc, um, was there was this really beautiful, like herbaceous, like savory herb note to it that was really, really lovely. And with the ripening of the Cabernet Franc, um, the longer I was able to kind of let it hang and get that hang time in the vineyard, the more it burnt out kind of those those green peppery vegetal, those pyrazine compounds. Mm-hmm. So getting the Cabernet Franc ripe without it getting overly, overly ripe, I guess you got to kind of pick that really nice balance where it still has that nice acid on the finish. So you get that little lift at the back of your palate. So you don't want the acid to drop out, but you do need to let it ripen well past where, you know, those compounds are going to be prevalent. So it's the very last thing I pick every year. It just tends to be the last thing that comes in. Um, So the last person I see uh, at harvest is, is Dick and Luann. Uh They're they're my last visit every year. And um, the the Cab Franc, we don't use any new oak. We use once to use barrels and neutral barrels. So we let that fruit really shine through without too much of that extra tannin or any of those extra flavors being imparted. So really it is just to make that delicate, lovely, medium bodied, food friendly wine. There you go. Well, interestingly, um, the first grapes I planted were in 1980, and it was uh, Cab Franc, Cab, and Merlot. Uh, more Cab and Merlot, but I, um, we, one, one characteristic of Cab Franc is it's very winter hardy. And if you're in a cool climate like us, we're worried about winter, and, and Cab Franc seems to always survive. I, I've been back to the Finger Lakes area and I see a lot of Cap Franc up in that area. And, it's, and a lot of it has to do with those cold winters that visit that. It, and Cap Franc will, is very hardy. Um, and, and yet you still need to put it in good spots. We made some mistakes in Washington. Because it's winter hardy, we think, well, we can put it anywhere. But you really need to put it in as good places as you'd put cab or Syrah or anything. And uh, we're kind of learning that, but where where I originally planted Cap Franc, it's not there anymore. Although right below the Cap Franc you get, Mary, is is the 1980, another 1980 planting um, along with my old cab. I, I'd planted in two spots back. And Cap Franc's kind of turned out to be a sleeper in that, uh, there's a lot of demand right now. I, I feel it from wineries, and it's it's sort of an alternative to cab. Uh, restaurants like it; they can put it on the table sooner. Doesn't have the tannins. Um, 
and it's it, it does have a little bit softer palate, but it has great aromatics is what what it brings to a Bordeaux blend. But on its own, it can deliver um, quite well. But I don't think people understand Cap Franc or are familiar with it. So your reaction earlier, uh, can you pronounce your name? Glyrus? Glyrus? It's Glynis. Oh, Glenis. okay. Oh, that's easy. Um, <laughs> I loved your first, uh, when you first were talking about the wine, I was thinking, oh, you're going to be like everybody and you're you're going to criticize Cab Franc. And uh, then you loved it. And I think that's, that's kind of what's happening um, in Washington. And I wish I had more Cab Franc. And this particular um, Cab Franc I planted in 2003. And I, it was, I was kind of excited about it because it was the first time I was able to get these French clones. Um, they come from the ONTOV, is the acronym for the French um, Varietal Selection Program. And um, I planted it right up by my house, which is fairly high elevation and, and a little bit later but uh and it takes a long time to ripen that's why mary's one of the last people i see before i i should stop picking but um the, the new cab front clones that are available now are really superior than the old standard and there's a number of them and they seem to have a little better color a little better aromatics smaller clusters and i really like them and this is this is the 332 uh, it's the number, fancy romantic name, 332. Um, but it, um, it's nice to be able to have some, most people blend Cab Franc with Cab and Blow, and that's where most of my fruit goes. But Mary's making 100%, and I commend her. It's a nice wine. And I may be biased, but uh, I- Just and, a little. And you have to get it right. Um, oh, yeah. This cab oh, yeah. can be really bell peppery and it just oh, yeah. kind of astringent and not a pleasant mm -hmm. experience. So um, where I planted before was down the road in a much lower elevation. It never really came through very well. And um, moving it up on a higher elevation has been uh, beneficial. Do you find um, that a lot of the things that you're growing now, you are it's a little more trial and error to get it right as far as the right um, landscape and where to put it like on the slope or things like that? Or is there some type of research or something like that done um, in advance? Well, you know, we're, we're still learning, you know, Washington um, is a newbie and um, we're still exploring all these sites, what works best where, and that's why, we probably need another generation or two to figure these things out, but we're we're doing that. And we like to think in the Yakima Valley, you probably all heard of Walla Walla and Red Mountain, and but really a lot of the vineyards started here more on the commercial side and larger, and we made a lot of mistakes. And I was part of that. I put fruit down in the valley floor and it was too vigorous, too lush. Uh, it's colder down there. And we couldn't control the quality as well. You bring it up on the hillsides where they're leaner soils um, and you can control the vigor and there's a little more heat units and, and uh, there's longer hang time and which I always benefits grapes to me. Um, matter of fact, I always like to delay harvesting um, to get the, the hang time, but we're still learning. Where we're really going through now is exploring all these new clones, which sounds a little geeky but uh and it it can be nuanced but they're clones that have come out of europe like i have some italian clones and i have the french clones of all varieties you can think of and it's really what has worked best for them in those areas and then we have to bring it here and try to find out what works best for here and we're we're learning a lot right now um about which clones were, were best where and in what types of soils. And uh, it's, it's something Europe went through 
hundreds of years ago. And now we're, it's our journey's just beginning, darn it. Uh, but we're finding some successes like this Cab Franc. And then I do a lot with the Ciroc clones and Merlot and Cab. Um, Sangiovese, there's a lot of different clones and, and we're, we're starting to replace them. And we're also starting to graft over top work to newer clones. And, um, and it's, you know, that's, and that's for me, that's why I sell the 50 wineries and mostly small, um, like damsel and I get immediate feedback, which I like. Uh, and and I'm kind of feel like I'm part of the process, but I'm not just you know I love wine, but I love to evaluate what which clones and varieties are working well, and which which type of winemaking brings out those qualities the best, and that's that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us because a lot of times places like you know California then of course France and Italy they just know what grows yeah. there because that's what's grown there for yeah, 500 years they do so to hear you talk about the experimental process and trying things out and seeing what works and what doesn't we don't yeah. often get to see this growth process and know like where you started and then where you're going so thank you for sharing yeah. that with us you're welcome that's uh it's a big deal here right well, now and Dick and I were in we were in a meeting together just last week even trying to define what you know what Washington state winemaking is and because we are still in that experimental process still finding these things we don't have you know a, a specific varietal identified with the state um you know where you have you know California or Napa specifically with the with the Cabernet we we really don't have that or Oregon Pinot you know it's not Washington insert hmm. varietal here it's Washington kind of take your pick at this point you know so we're we're still not identified with a specific varietal or a few varietals mm -hmm. um we're lucky to be able to still you know have have that freedom to even experiment so it's exciting on my side too as a winemaker to see you know what can we grow is it growing well and does it work with the style of wine that i'm making so we um we get to kind of go on that journey too and kind of walk hand in hand with the growers and experiment mm -hmm. with those different varietals of course, I'm really a mess. I have 24 varieties, so <laughs> I'm just narrowing it down. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. I only work with five varietals from, yeah. from Boucher, so okay, still working. Dick, you had mentioned um, the cost of Cab Franc, and I had heard a rumor that there's a shortage of it now, one, because of climate change in California, but then it's mm -hmm. growing in popularity do you see that um it will be equivalent price as cabernet Sauv is going for oh gosh that would be nice but i don't think so i <laughs> i think you know there it's interesting you say that there i'm part of a growers group and the growers group we put out a a proposed uh it's sort of we assess the supply and demand of each variety and and where there might be a uh it's a recommended price point and cab franc was one of the one of the higher reds this year but but that's on a, that's an average price the the thing with cab from the really high-end places just like if you're in the middle of napa or something we have our high-end Red Mountain, and there's some Walla Walla sites, and up on the Horse Seven Hills, and those prices are phenomenal for us. We're only maybe a quarter of the price of California. They get prices that are up to ten, twelve thousand a ton. If we get four thousand a ton, we think we've hit the jackpot. But Cab Franc is half that right now on average. But I think it's going to go up because we have too much cab here, and um, and people are looking around for our alternatives. And I think we we do a lot with uh, blends and Cab Franc just really enhances a, a, a Cab blend or with Merlot. And I think it's there is a shortage because we didn't really plan a lot of it. I've just, uh, and I just my sort of, uh, in my little world, there's been a lot of demand. Also, I manage vineyards down in Red Mountain. Um, it's the same there, you know, it's, 
it's kind of a, I think there's going to be a lot more interest to maybe get its own category and, and more demand uh, when put in the right spot. And I think we're, we've discovered that now about where to grow it and which clones to plant. And so I think, and, and those will mitigate the negative aspects of Cab Franc, which can be green and herbaceous. If you go with these new clones in the right spot, I, I think it's a big deal. Um, especially, you know, the restaurant trade's a little wounded still, but Cab Franc is, is really great to put on the table um, because it's approachable earlier in its life. And yet it'll age too. Um, I think I talked too much on that subject. <laughs> no, no, we love it. We That's love a good it. question, especially <laughs> um, from my perspective. Uh, we have had a lot of Cab Franc from the East Coast. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Even from where we're from, Maryland, uh, Maryland and Virginia, they make yeah. a lot of Cab Francs. Yeah. Um, and there is a vast difference between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I hope I hope this hasn't ruined Cab Franc for me because this is absolutely <laughs> you know, stunning. It's so and funny you, you say yeah. that. I one of the other hats I wear, I still have uh, juice grapes, Concords, Niagara's for and I grow for Welch's grape juice, which is a co-op and I was on the co-op board for <laughs> 26 years. Um uh, but who's counting? Um but we would go up into New York, Pennsylvania and um Michigan where our other growers are and especially the finger lights and uh i would i've gone up there quite a bit it's such it's a beautiful place and the wines have gotten so much better there over the years it's incredible but cab franc is one of their stars on the red side and and i do compare them and um i've had some really good cab francs just some years they don't have the heat units that they need to really bring out the best but it when it's good it's good Anyway. Um, can we um can we now talk about you guys' partnership? Dick, in <laughs> at the Oregon Wine Symposium that I listened to, you said that you date winemakers before <laughs> you have any contract with them. So you gotta you gotta tell us about how you date winemakers. Oh, gosh. And did you date Mary? How did that work? How did you your partnership yeah. start? Well, I love what I'm doing. Um growing grapes and uh then i i've made wine just amateurly on the side and i love every aspect of wine and so you know when you love your job and everything but now i'm getting greedy i want to work with people that i like a lot too and um i i want to know um how serious they are about what they're doing and uh their plan uh Mary said something to me the other day that I, I forgot I told her about, but to me it's important. Yes, the terroir and the growing the grapes is important. And I'm repeating Mary's words here that, that I told her. A third is that. A third is winemaking and a third is selling it. Uh, and if you don't have all those in order, you probably won't succeed so well. You can make a great wine, but you still have to convince people and um and i want to know uh sort of their long-term plans but also their their winemaking skills <laughs> um because i did make wine on an amateur scale for 28 years with my father-in-law who took courses at uc davis and wsu we had a full lab and i never had the guts to make wine <laughs> that's why i always admire people like mary they, uh, cause you're really laying your soul on the line. Like, here's my baby, please like it. And, uh, takes a lot of guts. Um, and I want to know what style and the skills and whether they're still stick with it and that there's a match because we have to work together, uh, pretty close. And, uh, if their winemaking style is kind of matches my grape growing style and that we can work together. Then once you figure that out, then I commit like full time. I mean, I really, I'll, I'll uh, bend over backwards and try and give you the best grapes. Of course, everybody wants grapes that were well known from other wineries. And I can't steal that from my other, because I have a lot of people that have been with me for over 20 years. And 
I'm pretty loyal to them. And Mary, I think, was it, has it been seven years or eight years? No, it's 10. 10? Gosh, who's counting? <laughs> uh, they fly by. Um, anniversary? Oh, no. And, um, <laughs> and then the other things, you know, for Mary, she's very persistent <laughs> in a nice way. And um, which I liked because I knew, you know, she kept coming back. Um, and I actually knew her brother who was making wine earlier, but he stopped making wine. And uh, and then Mary kept coming over. And I really admired that she was doing all the cellar work for Darby, who I knew, and uh, hard grunt work. I mean, it's there's nothing... You don't need to be in CrossFit if you're a winemaker. You you got to go in and you're picking up stuff and cases, but cleaning and rolling barrels and uh, and you know right now Mary looks very glamorous. She looks, but normally I never see her looking as good as she does right now. <laughs> it's true. Uh, he normally sees me getting out of a, a box truck when I come to get the yeah. grapes. You know, hair up in a bun, big boots on. You know, yeah, and. And she, days, so. she drives the truck over, she'll load the grapes. And I like that. And uh, and then then I I liked her style. The other thing about her that I learned, she doesn't want to copy somebody else. She wants to do or make her own style in wine. And um, I appreciate that because you need to be your own individual. I get some people, oh, I want to make a wine just like Bob Betts did and what grapes did he get and what barrels did he use and can you tell me what yeast he made and how long did he ferment it and I want to go you know you're you can do every you can copy it but it'll never be the same just make your own style of wine be yourself to to sort of again sort of piggyback on that sort of partnership aspect of it um I would not be making that delicious Cabernet Franc if I didn't start with good grapes. Like there's a foundation. And if you don't have good grapes, you're not gonna make a great wine. I don't care how talented you are, how much chemistry you understand. Um, without the backbone of good fruit and solid farming practices, we would be lost. Um, I would not be making that, that wine. And it's a totally different skill set to do the farming than it is to make the wine. And I do not have that skill set, even though I took classes in landscape design and horticulture and I understand, you know, what's going on to a certain degree in the soil and the plants and all of that sort of thing. I don't have the relationship of 40 years of living on that land, 40 years of growing those grapes, you know, a lifetime of knowledge of that place. And that accumulation of knowledge over time that Dick has for those plants. And so I think as a winemaker, I come to the relationship with a very healthy respect for what it is that he and Luann do there at the vineyard and really how that complements and adds to or, or kind of, you know, is sort of the, the base of where I start my process. Um, so without that solid foundation of fruit, I would have nowhere to go. And kind of funny story, truthfully, Dick and I bonded over beer drinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I found out that he likes Washington uh, IPAs and like, you know, nice kind of fun, different beers. And that where he, where his vineyards, where the, the vineyards are in Yakima Valley, he's really surrounded by um, hop yards as well. Like 75% of the world's hops are grown like right down the street from him. And so every time I would come over and walk through the vineyard, ask if they had any extra fruit, any anything available, <laughs> I would bring, um, you know, a new beer, a kind of, hey, look what I found. I think you might like this. Cause you found my weakness. I did, well, <laughs> and because I think, I tried a, a different sort of tact here. Everybody that is a winemaker, we're so proud of our wine and we want to show you what we've done with your grapes. And we're, you know, we're just so excited. But I assume that you have tons of wine from all the winemakers that yeah. want to share their, you know, their vineyard wines with you. So I was like, you know, he might be getting tired of this wine. I'm going to try this beer tactic and see if this doesn't get my, you know, a foot in the door. So yeah, I just kept visiting and, 
Luann um, is a dear, dear friend and they've become more like family to me now after, you know, almost 10 years, just two of, of the sweetest, nicest people supporting new winemakers like myself um, to understand that they're one of the top vineyards in the state and still willing to work with someone who is really still in the, in the early part of, of my winemaking career and to take a chance on selling me those grapes, um, you know, to make sure I do something worthy of that name. It's a lot of pressure, but it's ah. also such a sign. Um, it, it was just a very proud moment when I got to put that designation on my label. So now that it, it says, you know, Boucher Vineyard, ah. that was a very, very proud day for me. Um, just in respecting that partnership and what that name means in Washington wines. So hmm. it was pretty wow. cool. You're embarrassing me. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I never asked for that name on there. Uh, but there's another element uh, that Mary has that uh, a lot of winemakers, smaller, wears lots of hats. She can, you know, drive the truck, crush the grapes, make it. But we rudely one day dropped into her tasting room without telling her and I wanted to get some wine and it was full and uh she's in there by herself with this full house and we thought well we better go We're, we'll be out of here but but she said no no you gotta stay sit down and I saw her work this crowd of I don't know it's not a big tasting room <laughs> well this is and it was but it was packed and she was taking care of everybody and everybody's wine was being filled and uh, everybody was ordering and talking. And uh, you got us both glasses and you handled that like a professional. I mean, very cool. And uh, these hospitality skills you have, but if you're a winemaker, you have to be able to, yes, have the skills to make the wine, but then just to deal your hospitality skills and uh, and they're very good. I mean, everybody was just well taken care of and happy in there. But also we've done winemaker dinners together in Seattle and um, just talking about the wines and being around you, you have a good knack for that. Hey there, our wine lover friends. Imagine this, not having to go to the wine store, someone delivering wines directly to your home or office. Better yet, imagine having wines produced by women, Black and Latinx winemakers and owners. Your dreams have come true. Honestly, they really did. Swirl Suite listeners, The Wine Concierge makes this happen. The Wine Concierge is an online wine store that features affordable handcrafted wines produced by women and minority winemakers, vintners, and owners from boutique vineyards. They have an amazing selection of domestic and international wines. Trust me, I've tried them. And they deliver to most states. Use code SWIRL for a special discount and free shipping on their holiday bundles and wines. Visit www.thewineconcierge.co to use your discount. Again, the site is www.thewineconcierge.co. Now let's get back to the show. How involved are you in each other's process? Like Mary, do you go to the vineyards? Do you get to taste the grapes? And um, Dick, do you do you go to any of your wineries and taste barrel taste before anything is bottled? How involved are you? You know, I don't know. I'll let Mary answer. I'll, you know, not as much as I want to be. Because um, I, I love going in and following my wines or finding out what winemakers are doing. And and uh, there's so many, you know, variables. It's It never ends, which I think all of us know. And uh, I, don't have, I don't have as much time. And also, it's in Woodenville. It's you know, a three and a half, three hour drive. Um, I think I follow up and I love tasting all of her wines, but I don't get as much actively involved. There's, you know, some of the wineries, it's part of their deal is you have serious tastings from your grapes. It's how, 
you you evaluate it. You know, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Because most of the time, you can go back to the vineyard and just critique it. I will say though, for a smaller winery um, such as Mary's, there's not much. You need to give them the best product. You don't. You can't blend it away with something because you don't have enough product. So I feel a lot more pressure, like for Mary and some others like her that are. Um, there's no compromise. I mean, you have to, to uh, really wait till those grapes are at that point where you want it. And uh, and I think Mary does that very well. She's very patient. Some people get anxious in a hurry. I, I will say, um, as far as the, the winemaking process, we we love to go out to the vineyards and I, I bring my staff when I can, my mm -hmm. winemaker and my seller help, and we'll go out to the vineyards just so everyone understands that connection that that's that's what we're, we're we're working from that's the base and so we'll go out to the vineyards we'll walk through our rows um you know and you know d uh, we have the same rows in the same area that we're, we're picking from so we're working with the same clones the same fruit every year so you get a nice knowledge of yeah. what is being produced um any given year and so we'll, we'll sample the berries from those rows. We'll run the chemistry on it. You know, we'll share that with Dick and Luann and they share those numbers with us when they're sampling. Um, we share with other wineries as well, because being, you know, two and a half, three hours away from your vineyard that you're working with, there are a lot of winemakers. I think there's what, 350 growers and more than a thousand wineries in Washington now. So a lot of us are sharing fruit um, or, or sourcing from the same vineyard. So in that sort of spirit of community, a lot of us will share those numbers with each other if we can't always make it out to the vineyard, yeah. you know, or we'll at least pick from other people's rows and try and help them out, bring them samples as well. Um, so I think, um, you know, getting out there and tasting the fruit and the numbers are one thing, but getting out there, seeing it, um, hanging the clusters, you know, how it's ripening, Sometimes it's inconsistent, depending on how the rows are laid out. One area might get more sun than the other, if it's west facing, east facing, you know. So there's all these different factors, these variables to consider. So I think going out to the vineyard, you know, walking around, if Dick and Luann have time, mm -hmm. you know, catching up with them, just asking their opinions of the growing season, how are things working yeah. out, what do you guys think, um, is invaluable to me. It helps inform, you know, stylistically, when are we going to pick? Um, do we need to wait another week before we pick? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, the weather changes. Obviously, this is a very labor intensive group. Um, all the fruits being handpicked or most of it's being handpicked. Um, and so there have been times where, you know, communication and understanding what is going on at the vineyard is really important. Like Dick, I sent him a text just this past harvest and was like, hey, how about picking the straw on this date? He's like, what if I can't pick for you on that date? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, if you can't, I guess I'll just have to get it another day, you know, and the Syrah was going to be just fine. And that communication and that level of trust and knowing that I'd seen the fruit, I know what the Syrah out there does. I know how Dick and Luann managed the, the vineyard. So with full confidence, I was like, great, push back the pick, you know, do what you need to do. We'll get it a different day. And it worked out beautifully. The Syrah came in gorgeous this year. I was yeah. really happy. Some people aren't as accommodating this year. When I say I can't pick that day, it's like, you know, there's a, a pause and they... Well, I mean, unless they, I'm willing to drive out there and pick it myself, I guess I'm, I'm relying on you guys. Uh, people think they can do that, but, you know, I, it becomes why it's... Um, there's some anxiety because I probably have too many customers, but I don't know which ones I want to get rid of. It's kind of a, and um, it's just a logistic problem. You know, I, I always say, oh, I have too many. I need to pare it down. But then I, I like most of my customers. It's taken me 40 years to accumulate these people. Um, and they're for the most part, all making very nice wines. And, but it's if it's a logistics of you know i have my crews and there's trucks for transportation we have to coordinate with and then weather and i have a, a very a calendar or a schedule that's pretty much booked for two months and uh, but there are certain certain varieties 
what what really drives me yes the needs of the winery but when varieties are ripe then you you've got to go get them you have to make that work and uh i try to be honest given my opinion of what they like and when they're ripe for that person and i kind of know what mary likes and other some people want to pick super late and other people want to pick real early the same variety in the same block. And there's a lot of blocks I sell to maybe five different people. And, and you know, one of the first decisions of a winemaker is when do you pick? <laughs> and some people are, are after different things. And so I, I have to take that in mind on scheduling. Nick, while you're talking about the grapes that you um, are picking and at what times, can you tell us a little more about, um, we've mentioned the GSM blend and Cabernet Franc. What are some other grapes and blends that we can expect and look for out of Washington State? Well, um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've covered all the Bordeaux blends quite well, I think. Um, and that's kind of what I think one of the things that's put Washington on the map, but all the Rhone blends. And the ones that excite me a lot, and I think we have a lot of potential for it, that um, all these Rhone blends, like I'm trying to get all of the Chateauneuf to pop, the 13 or 14 varieties, but um, I, I don't think we've exploited that enough here because the Rhones, what I'm finding, they seem to, you know, it's Washington is kind of a diverse state. There's not a county or an AVA. There's um, the Rhones seem to do well in, in most of our growing areas, D different stylistic, you know, flavors and tastes depending on heat units, but these GSM blends or other red Rhone blends, but what I've been doing a lot with is the Rhone, Rhone white blends, because in 2003, when I planted uh, this Cab Franc for Mary, I planted uh, other uh, French, I, I planted these Topless Creek wines and it was Marsan, Roussan, Picpoul, Grenache Blanc, uh, Viognier, and um, the combination of all those whites is something that I, I really like. I like I've been waiting and waiting for Syrah to become the, the state grape varietal. And every year I look, you know, in, in Wine Spectator, hoping that, you know, Syrah is going to jump up, uh, you know, by multiple yeah. percentages in, in popularity. And, you know, there's always like Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, and then like yeah. way down the chart at the very, very end is like Syrah. No. And it's just, I don't know what it is or why it isn't necessarily catching on the way that I think yeah. it should be catching on based on the quality and just the the different styles yeah. that we can produce across Washington. I don't think there's another varietal that we grow in Washington that expresses the the terroir, the area that it's grown as distinctly as Syrah. Um, and it's just such a fun, playful grape from a winemaker standpoint. If you were at all creative or, um, you know, kind of experimental, artistic, like it, it's just the funnest grape to play with. You can co-ferment mm -hmm. it. You can whole cluster ferment it. You can de-stem it. You can add stems back to the fermentation. We've been putting our, um, you know, Syrah in concrete and fermenting it in some concrete the last few years um, instead of just stainless tanks. But we, it, it's just such a fun varietal and it just is so expressive and it just mm -hmm. tends to grow really well. I think if anything, and Dick, you can probably speak to this more, but the Syrah tends to be very happy in a lot of different environments. Oh, yeah. like, I feel like the only thing you can do wrong is maybe overwater it and it can just go too crazy and get too happy. Mm -hmm. um, but Syrah seems to be something that's very flexible. It's, it's easy to grow in a lot of different vineyards. There's a lot of different clones to select from. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I just find it to be such a, a fun and playful companion that like it'll go places with you if you want to experiment with it. We talked about the winemaking and we talked about the growing, um, mm. but there's also another part. You guys kind of market together. You guys have, you have a brand, 
um, Dick, mm. with your with your vineyards. Yeah. And then Mary, yeah. you have a brand. How uh, name some ways that you guys market together to sell your grapes and the wine? Well, I'm I'm hoping that you know if if there's someone coming to the vineyard and approaching Dick and saying, hey, you know what is your what is your Cab Franc like? Or if I were to purchase Cab Franc grapes from you, you know what would they be like? And I'm hoping that with a partnership you know, he could refer them to me or say, go talk to Mary at Damsel. She makes hundred percent Cab Franc. She's been using my fruit for X number of years. You know, we have this relationship and mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, he could point them in my direction and I might be able to help that way. Um, you know, stylistically, if that's what they're trying to make with Cabernet Franc, that mine would be a good representation of that fruit. And also, um, I talked about being able to use the vineyard designation on my bottle and, with that name and the Boucher Vineyard designation on that label, um, it it actually has elevated my brand uh, because there are so many people that know what that name means. They know the the cachet and the and the you know quality of the vineyard um, that it is one of the best vineyards in the state, and they know the reputation of Dick and Luann, and so that's helped to elevate my brand especially, you know, only 10 years into the business, um, you know, it, it really, it gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot of cred when I didn't have very much. We'll put it that way. Hmm. Well, I think for Washington, that's a, that's a big topic because um, it's changing a little bit. More wineries are planting vineyards and that's why I'm managing vineyards because wineries, we don't have as many management companies like California does or they've asked me I want to plant this vineyard you know can you help me and uh, I did that for several wineries and I said I'd only do it for five years well I've been doing it for 15 years now I'm kind of stuck uh, but they were my customers but in general most of the vineyards are owned uh, a high percentage by growers that are independent and they and a lot of the growers, they don't just grow grapes. They grow, like I grew apples and cherries for 35 years. Now I'm all grapes. But but it's in the growers' best interest to be involved with these wineries. And not a lot of growers are, and more should be. Um, like, it's in my best interest that Mary sells her wine. <laughs> and I, I don't, I, um, I've participated as much as I can like I go with trade tastings with some of the wineries uh, because, you know, part of this product is the grapes. And since the wineries don't often own vineyards, you, you the other part of the equation is you need, the growers need to be more involved in that process and talk about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Well, guys, yeah. we're going to um, hit you with some uh, just a few closeout questions. But before we okay. do that, please tell everybody where they can follow you. Oh, so Damsel, obviously, you can find us on Instagram at Damsel Sellers, um, Facebook at Damsel Sellers, Twitter at Damsel Sellers. Um, we also have a website. If you're interested in purchasing any of the wines that we've been talking about today, you can go to our website. Um, we do ship extensively. Um, so if you're looking for fun holiday wines, that's a good place to find us. Um, and if you are in Woodenville or around Seattle or visiting Seattle, you can visit our tasting room um, in Woodenville. Hmm. Gosh, I live vicariously through my wineries. I'm not good at, at this, although my wife, I want to live through my wineries. My wineries, yeah, they're not my wineries, but my partner's. Okay, guys, so we are just going to go through three this or that questions, and you just tell me what you prefer. No explanation needed. Sure. Um, everybody can answer, guys. Okay, first one, call or text? Text. <laughs> text, don't call me. I don't, <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah. I... Leslie, what about you? Oh, because I don't pay attention to my text messages understood text from me i'm always looking at my phone all right <laughs> next one pie or cake cake pie for sure my mary my daughters and my wife cake. makes such wonderful pie that <laughs> leslie i will do cake i'm cake 
cake. Okay. Team cake. I'm, I'm, I'm pie. Team. I love pie. Team cake. Yeah. Team cake. Okay. Oh. Chips or fries? Homemade. Both. Homemade. Ooh. Oh. Oh. French fries. Fries. Uh, I'd I'd like to say chips, but I had some French fries the other day that were decadent, <laughs> and I ate everything. Just. <laughs> I mean, when they're good, they're good. It's true. Right. Potato, oh, I can't choose. all of the above. Potato, all of yeah. the above. I, I yeah. think I'm the same. Both both for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, do you like your left hand or your right hand? Exactly. Like, no, right. I like exactly. them both. Right. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's in front of me. <laughs> Well, guys, that is the podcast. Thank you so much for joining wow. us. We really appreciate it. It's very nice. Thank you, guys. Very nice. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for joining the Swirl Speed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave us five stars and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Buy Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glasses, Tanisha. Vino 301 is Leslie and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vime Me Up Media.